One, two, three. Nice. We're getting better at this. Yeah. Improvement. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about this conversation we had with our dear friend, Laura Green. She is a very special friend of ours, I would say, and a catalyst to our friendship, Stanley, which I think is quite notable. So Laura, just for a little background on her, Laura and I met when she was the leader of November Project in San Francisco. November Project, if you've never heard of it, is a global fitness movement in, I believe it's 53, 54 cities, early 50s. Laura and I touch on that in our conversation of neither of us actually knowing the exact number anymore. But she started it in San Francisco as one of the first offshoots from the original November Project City, which was Boston. And that's how we got to know each other. Eventually, Laura and our other friend, Patty, who was leading alongside her, invited me to co-lead November Project San Francisco with her, uh, with them, I should say. And that only deepened, deepened our friendship. But that sort of background, I think, is important to understand how we know each other, the types of experiences that we've had waking up early together many years in a row, three times a week to lead, lead workouts and, and plan fun things for, uh, for this group. And, and that's, that's how you met her too, right, Stanley? Yeah, I, when I first moved to San Francisco, I started going to November Project. Um, and as Laura points out in the episode, kind of half the reason I met my wife was through November Project. Um, so I guess I do owe a little bit of credit to uh, to Laura, her and, her and Sam Livermore, of course. Um, but yeah, November Project was great. And it was like a very foundational part of San Francisco for me and all the people I met. A, a few weeks ago, Laura and I had an exchange on Instagram where we essentially realized that the three plus years that we led November project together, we were just running a, a large scale dating group that happened to exercise, <laughs> but we, we got to give, we got to give her credit for, for setting up the environment for each of us to meet our, our partners. So, so thank you for that, Laura. And this conversation is, is a really fun one. Laura is a great storyteller. She has a, a cackling laugh, which you'll hear. And, and hopefully enjoy, uh, we certainly do. And she, she has a lot to offer in the way of, of life experience and, and wisdom. You know, she grew up, she touches on this a little in the episode, but she grew up in a relatively conservative area and sort of as a part of her college years, I think started to think more on her own and, and, and make decisions about how she wanted to move and, and be in the world in a more independent way. And, she also touches a lot on her role raising two young white males. She has two young boys and I think takes that responsibility quite seriously based on the experiences she's had as a part of November Project and, and trying to create a space that truly is available for all and, and understanding the, uh, the privilege that white men specifically have is something that I think she takes very seriously as, as a mom and, and family person. Another thing I want to uh, do before I forget is, uh, I guess it's like a meta correction. So at the end of the episode, ep- our episodes, we, I look for any corrections that need to be made. And I think my, my mind combined two numbers that she said, I thought she said Homer, Alaska had 500 people. Um, but what she did say was correct. So this is me correcting my correction of, of her. Uh, so I just want to put that out there. Laura, you were correct. That's that's awfully nice of you, Stanley, to fall on your sword like that. <laughs> well, with that, let's get to our conversation with the one and only Laura Green. Look, if you want to out-podcast us on our own podcast. <laughs> All right. Anyways, here we go. We're super excited to welcome to Unzipped, Laura McCloskey-Green. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for having me, Zip. Also, what I have a question. We, Stan, I, already, I'm off. <laughs> I'm asking the questions. Is Stanley a co-host or is Stanley like also a co-host, but mostly just like audio? What, what was, what was... Great, great question. Uh, Stanley, how would you define your role? 
I'm mostly a producer and making sure that Zip keeps his ducks in a row. Um, I may chime in with a, a few, with one of the segments. Great. I need supervision. I need supervision, Laura. I know. You, 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 should, know, you should know this better than, that better than most. <laughs> it did make me a little nervous when you said, uh, I'm starting a podcast. And I thought, hmm. I hope he has a partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, I, I feel I, I feel very grateful to have Stanley because he listens to the entire conversation, and then at the very end, which we'll get to at some point, I go, Stanley, what did I miss? And Stanley chimes in with something very clever and insightful that I've missed. So having him, you know, just be a part of it from the from the start already enhances the quality of of the conversation, but no pressure on you. Cause really this is, this is about you. You, you started by asking me the first question, but, uh, this, this podcast is, is really about learning about you, Laura. That's why people are listening. I, well, let's see if they continue to listen. <laughs> see how far we make it into this. I, I hope so. Um, th this is meant to be just sort of an exploration of you as a person and some of your defining characteristics and traits. And I think, Part of why I was excited to have you on is I think you sort of occupy a very distinct role in my head in terms of your personality and, and who you are. And I think of you as this, you know, badass female runner fitness person, but you're also so, so much more than that. But since that's how I came to know you initially, I kind of wanted to start there and it was it was through November project but maybe you can almost tell the story to the six people listening of of how we of how we met and how we kind of know each other. Do you remember the first time we met? Oh, I do. Yeah. I don't. I like <laughs> which is like so mean. I can't remember the first time that I actually met you. No, no, it's fine. Well, I can maybe tell the story of when I first met you, which is probably, I was just a blank face, I assume, at that point. Um, there were probably 20 people working out at Alamo Square Park. This is in the infancy of November Project San Francisco, of course. Yeah. And you were, at that point, the lone leader, although I think it's fair to say that Sam Livermore and, and others were standing by your side to either pump you up or somehow share the the announcement responsibilities. I don't know exactly what. And I just remember that first workout showing up. I think it was a, a PR Wednesday workout, which at Alamo Square Park was a very difficult workout. And looking around, you know, this is cocky 24, 25 year old Josh we're talking about here looking around and just trying to sort of assess who I was up against for the, this workout. And then looking at you sharing the workout being like, I think this woman is probably about to dust me in this, in this thing. <laughs> and then of course you didn't actually do the workout. I don't think so. <laughs> that so that was my first, that was my first introduction to, to Laura, the, the November project leader. <laughs> right. So, Okay, we'll start there. Yeah, November Project I brought to San Francisco in 2013 um, in an effort just to make friends. I had no idea really how to like find my people. I kept trying different run clubs and stuff, but nothing stuck. So I was like, I guess I'll just like start this thing that my friend Brogan was doing in Boston. Um, and so I just started at Alamo Square Park and then eventually Dan Clayton came on and became my co-leader when he moved out to the West Coast. And it's funny when you bring up like all those extra co-leaders too, because they very much were like Erin Larson, who is now Stanley's wife, was usually like my photographer. Um, we had Sam Livermore for hype, hype, hype. Uh, ben Fox helped me and Jess Huffman helped me create the workout. So like it was a team effort all the way around for the first six months um, before Clayton came on. And yeah, what a shit show, huh? <laughs> really fun though <laughs> it was it was what I, i'm i'm curious what other things you tried and if you had any you know horrible experiences as, as uh, a part of that like any like the run clubs and such yeah i never really had horrible experiences but like i kept trying to like go to like yoga classes or workout classes because those were just kind of what i felt like were my quote people and i don't know just nothing was sticking but I also to like understand where I'm 
my story is though, it goes back to being a travel physical therapist. So I was moving every three to six months. So how do you create adult friendships in such a short period of time? It's really difficult. So uh, I was moving around and I would like, and I was usually with my best friend. So like we just kind of hung out together, but she's not as much of a runner. And so I would kind of try to like poke my head into different things and it never really panned out. And so then I would just move. <laughs> And so then, and so then was the thinking that by starting November project in San Francisco that you were just like, okay, well, I'll just bring all the people I should be friends with to me. To me. Or was it something yeah. different? I no, that's exactly what it was. And I also initially, when I brought it up to Brogan and Boyan, who are the two co-founders, they told me I couldn't do it and that I shouldn't do it. And of course it's and that was just fire probably, underneath me. I was I was gonna say that was probably just a hundred percent confirmation that you were like, oh, oh I'm definitely gonna do this now. Okay, so I'll start on Monday. Um and so yeah, and that also like them not wanting me to do it made sense because of how often I moved. Um but I was like, listen, if I do this and I grow it, I'll stay. And then I stayed for seven years after I started it. So That's amazing. I, I actually wanna bad. come back to November project, because yeah. obviously that's a lot of our sort of shared experience together. But I'm curious to, you know, this is a podcast about learning more about your defining traits. And you just described a scenario where someone said, hey, don't do this. And you unilaterally decided, I actually don't care what you have to say, I'm going to do this. Right. And so I'm curious to know if that is present in other aspects of your life. And also, your sort of decision-making process and sort of the elements that go into leading your own way or sort of ignoring that type of messaging in those yeah. scenarios. You know, what's interesting is that you come at this from like a friendship from like when I was in my like late twenties, early thirties. I wonder if like the host was like a high school friend or if the host was someone who just met me last year. It's, it's interesting how the different point of views from like where the person is in their life and what is being brought out of them at the time. Um, but yes, going back to that, the, I, I'll prove it to you type trait. Um, I think that there's like three things that I've, I've repeated to myself for like 20 years now since I was a teenager and it's confidence, humility, humor. And I feel like if you can bring that into every single situation that you're in or season of life, that at least for my personality and, and understanding my strengths and weaknesses has really, um, has really benefited me in the long run. And so when it came to starting NP or um, choosing like a career path or changing my career path or every big decision in my life has in like been um, had those three elements to it or at least a couple of them. And so for November Project, it was confidence. You know, it was just kind of like fake it till you make it and see what happens and a whole lot of humor because you make a lot of mistakes and you need and you need to just understand and learn from them, but also laugh about them. Yeah, that those three words, I, I wouldn't have known what three words to describe you with if I just had to choose three on their own, but those all make so much sense. Oh, that's so nice. So it's not just me who thinks about myself that way. <laughs> no, no, I think, I, I think that, I think that really is how you sort of project into, into the world. You know, you, you don't take yourself too seriously. You love, Love to laugh. I, I, I was just excited to record this just so we could get your laugh on the pocket. We might use it as a laugh track for the rest of the season. I don't know. There we go. We just captured that right there. Yeah. But how do, you, how do you think about, like, even those first two, confidence and humility, those are kind of in conflict with one another, or they, or they can be. Um, so I'm curious how you how you navigate that, because that, that was actually something I wanted to get to just as a part of your November Project leadership role and style of being a big personality, but at the same time trying to be able to connect with someone one-to-one -one and, and not being above anyone, even though you're in the front of the group, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm curious how you think about that tension between those, those two elements. Right. And... 
I've been thinking a lot about it over the last few years about like the end statements and how important those are. So you can be confident and humble. You don't have to be confident, but humble. And so I, I, I mean, I, I'll go back to like, so when I was a traveling physical therapist, one of the first, one of the, I think the third place I went was Alaska and I went completely by myself. And it was the first time um, that I went to a location solo and I was terrified, but like, I was like, I need to fake it. So I like, I've always been pretty confident, but I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> and so I got onto this plane, flew out to Homer, Alaska. Um, and when I landed, there was like, this is, this, this just gives you an example of what Homer, Alaska is population 800 people, I think. And then like 5,000 in the summer. And they were like, there'll be a car for you in the parking lot, keys in the ignition. And then there's directions to your apartment and the keys to the apartment are in the, the console. So like small town. So, but I landed at midnight and like the ability to just kind of like turn your phone off, like land in a place you don't know, nobody's going to be able to help you and like navigate through that. Like those are the building blocks that have given me confidence, not necessarily just standing in front of a group of 300 people. Um, it's it's like the, the smaller elements that came, the smaller things that came before. So by the time I got to November Project, I was 27, I think, and had already like built up all of these different um, experiences that have given me confidence to, to take it on. The humility part, I think just has to come with it, right? Because you can't be, for it to be, you can't be confident without humility because you're, if you're confident, you're going kind of like full on in one direction and you're bound to make mistakes and you have to be able to like accept that and, and take those mistakes and admit when you're wrong or, or, um, bring it down a notch because if if you're not if you don't have the humility there to balance you it's just hubris it's not confidence it's you know yeah just arrogance. i guess that yeah i guess that really is the true difference between confidence and arrogance yeah i'm wondering i'm wondering if you ever had any experiences of i hesitate to say being too confident but maybe brushing up against that border of arrogance and having that type of check for yourself of, oh, wow, I really need to lean into that humility side and remember that sort of value for myself. Oh, for and sure. And kind of step back into that. I'm wondering what, what that was like. I don't, I can't think of anything, which is funny because like, I think that there are people who used to attend my workouts who could probably bring up like all these different examples of like, you know, th of this exact uh, we've, we've actually got a caller on, on the line <laughs> but yeah i i i can't think of anything right now but in terms of like i think in terms of travel there i have brushed up against like like being like i can travel alone i can travel travel whatever 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 i know things i am an independent woman and then really brushing up against unsafe situations um I can think of like there are two two in particular right off the top of my head which are like I confidently went in the wrong direction in Bariloche in Argentina and I ended up in a neighborhood I should not have been and the police picked me up because they were like you need to you're you're about to get you know mugged and I'm like should I get in the cop car you know and it's like and it's like but that was my stupidity that was complete ignorance and that was like my false confidence in going forward and not thinking to be like okay I should check with the locals like where exactly I should be you know and it's just like those types of examples throughout my entire life of course I've made 8,000 million mistakes <laughs> right right but I, I do think that is something cool about you is you love to look back even in real time on those things and laugh at yourself yeah. and, and, re and recognize the, the humor in, in those situations of, wow, that, you know, luckily that nothing happened, but that could have been could've, something. Could have been something. <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. that actually does bring up, you know, I think one of the, the things about you that is interesting to sort of compare who you are today now you know, you're oh, 
a mother with two children, very much sort of settled in in Boston, compared to you know being a traveling nurse, single woman, just going all over the place and having adventures. I wonder how you think about like what does adventure kind of look like to you now, and is that something that is important to you Uh-oh. now or compared oh, to? Oh God, you're talking about parenting, but you're also talking about parenting in a pandemic, which is just oh, <laughs> right, Stanley. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about, like, pivotal moments, I guess, of, like, in my life, right? When you look back on pivotal moments, like, before I joined this call. And and one of them is obviously becoming a parent. Um, And just, like, how difficult that first year was for me because I gave up all adventures in my definition of an adventure right adventure should have a little bit of danger a little bit of spontaneity um something new preferably you know and almost always outdoors and and they usually involve travel all of the things that are really difficult to do when you have a small child and so the first year i like i went into parenthood and i was like oh yeah I'm just going to keep living my life. I'm going to put the kid in the backpack and we're just going to keep going. And and I think that if there's no way to like not think that way or else you would just be sad. Like you kind of have to go in with that blind optimism or else you'll just be depressed about having this (laughs) newborn. Um, But so that's how I went into it. And of course it was like a shock. And then of course it was kind of like depressing thinking about, how my life had shifted so dramatically in such a short period of time. I mean, when we were in San Francisco, we were going almost every weekend somewhere, you know? And I think about those early days of November Project when we had like this group of like 30 people who were kind of constantly looking for something like that every weekend. And there was always something to do. And yeah, and so, but I've settled in to parenthood now and I love it so much more, but the the adventures are few and far between. Like I wouldn't describe anything that I do as adventurous these days, but that's my definition of an adventure. You know, some people would be like taking on having a kid as an adventure. Sure, but I don't know. I think it's an over. Well, I think it's hard to it's hard to juxtapose that with Laura McCloskey. You know, pre pre-Laura Green in a cow costume, you know, at, at 6 a.m. in the morning. was so much fun. <laughs> she had such a good life. <laughs> but she's Laura Green now. Laura McCloskey maybe doesn't exist. She's Nobody gone. knows. She is gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, we still have a lot of, we still have a lot of fun, but it is a different kind of fun for sure. Well, I do remember, I think it was 20... 18, I think it was 2018, the North Face race in San Francisco. And of course, there's, you know, people descending on San Francisco from all corners of the November Project world. And, and you came and I think this was pretty soon after Jack had been born. And I remember talking to you at the very beginning of like, soon after you'd landed, And you said something like, I've really been looking forward to it. I feel a little guilty because I've been really looking forward to this and kind of having this independent time to almost be old Laura, you know, pre Jack Laura a little bit. But then I also chatted with you at the end and you basically shifted the other way where you, (laughs) you were basically like, I've essentially spent this whole time trying to have fun, but realizing that I, actually wish I was with my family. And I don't know, it's interesting to hear you talk about adventures and excitement and that era of, of yourself, because it does seem like, you know, as we all do, you've evolved to be a newer and and different version of yourself in terms of what your priorities are and and what you care most about. Understandably so. Totally. You're, I remember that, 
conversation because I think about it all the time, and especially leading up to having a second kid. Because I remember sitting there. This is the one where we were talking with Brogan too, right, in the dining room. And so we're we're sitting there, and Brogan has a kid who's like six months older than mine, and he just keeps kind of telling me it, it, it gets better, it gets better. Because at this point, I had traveled across the country, and Jack was only seven weeks old, which parents listening are like, what the fuck? <laughs> but I was, and I didn't know it at the time, like I was in the depths of postpartum depression and anxiety. I just didn't know that that's what was going on. I thought that what I was feeling was completely normal. Um, but so, and then we show up and we can't even run, right? Like we're, it was the wildfires. We were just kind of like stuck inside and um, it was still so fun. But I mean, welcome to parenting, right? You're just like, you can't wait to get away and you can't wait to come home. It's, it's confusing and it's like such a wild shift every, you know, few minutes. Um, it's kind of like the same as a toddler brain. But yeah, I when I started thinking about having a second kid and I was like, okay, what would I change about the first about like how we went about it with the first. And that first year was so hard for me and so much of it could have been prevented with the right medications and the right support, um, that I just didn't know how to ask for. So when I went, um, after I gave birth to Julian, I got right on Zoloft and I had a therapist that I was already comfortable with and like weekly meetings with, and it's been like a world of a difference. And so it's not only like, do you have the experience of a second kid, but you just like my whole perspective. And also, like I was saying, I'm kind of over that whole mourning of old Laura McCluskey. Like I don't mourn her anymore. Um, when Jack was a newborn, I did. And then now I'm just like very much into who Laura Green is <laughs> and kind of like this season of my life. I mean, the San Francisco chapter was some of the most fun times I'll ever have, the most freeing times I'll ever have in my life. But now it's just a different season. And so it's like, I think actually the pandemic was the turning point for me because I went from going a million miles an hour. I was still trying to travel to NP cities. I was working for a November project and still working as a physical therapist full time and also like trying to be a mom. And then I was just home with Jack. And at first I was like, I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> this is really hard. Stay at home moms are, you know, warriors. And we just got to that to um, get to know each other, I guess, a little bit better. And I was like, oh, oh, if you just like fully commit and you kind of stop fighting this mom thing and you just like really just kind of like let it happen, then, and it became like a different experience for me. Wow, that's so cool. I was still very excited for him to go back to daycare, but those, <laughs> those six months were like really transformative for me, for sure. Yeah, well, I, I I wanted to get into that a little bit because I'm curious with your with how I know you as a boisterous, outgoing, confident, cow suit wearing, you know, runner. I'm curious how that translates to being a mom. Like, what feels most important to you and elemental to you? to transmit to Jack and, and Julian. So that has evolved even in the three years that Jack has been alive and the few months Julian, like it's, it's, it's interesting. And so obviously like your kids are who they are. Like I can try and like teach them to be certain ways and I can instill values in them the best that I can. But like Jack is very much just kind of like, <laughs> Jack Green, you know, like he, and he's very, he's his own person. Um, I was talking about this with Connor recently, like, because also we've had the ultimate debate of where do you raise your child? Do you raise your child in like the idyllic, beautiful countryside and have them be like an outdoorsy kid? Or do you have them be more of a city kid and like have kids in their class that are enduring some like real world shit? And then they grow up with a much more worldly perspective. Like there's pros and cons of both, right? So we go back on and forth on that constantly. Um, which which side do you fall on? 
both, right? Like I grew up in that like rural burbs and I had an amazing childhood, but also I look back, I grew up in a pretty Republican conservative area. I didn't really like start like really examining the world until I was in my twenties. Like, and, and like really, really looking at my privilege, really looking at where I came from and like, like my impact on this, on this planet. And so I was like so far beyond like behind. And so I wonder what it would have been like if I grew up in, in more of an urban environment and there was more diversity and of like in every aspect. Um, so, so yeah, that go, we go back and forth, but we're both outdoorsy people and like to have like wake up and like have mountain biking trails out our backyard, that would be pretty dope too. So I don't know. Right. Right. Um, so you're really just looking for what I think is every <laughs> early 30 somethings family dream home, which is how do we live in the urban center with all of our friends and all of this great worldly perspective with mountain biking trails still in our backyard and nature all around us somehow totally. at the same time. Totally. So let me know when you find that place. Okay. Yeah. Kate, Kate and I are searching for that too. <laughs> um, but when it comes to like raising them, of course, like you are like, I want them to be kind. I want them to be happy, but the, I'm very self-aware that I am raising two white males and that when they enter their, like when they go out into the world, they are two privileged white males and they need to use their privilege for good. And I, never had these conversations when I was younger. So it's become kind of like something that I've been working towards and working at and like, even in like the programs that we watch and the books that we read and the conversations that we have at the dinner table, he's only three, but they ingest everything. And so, and they take everything in and they listen to everything that you're saying. And, um, and just to like teach them to give a voice to the people who historically have not been given a voice at the table. And, um, their friends who have disabilities or people of color or people who are often overlooked and to use, like, he doesn't, he, just because he's white, he has a different place in society at this point in time in the United States. And so if I can raise both of them to, to use that to help others and not just continue to heighten their own privilege, then I'll feel like I've done a good job. That's that's heavy stuff. So best best of luck. Best yeah, of full, luck. Full full support here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. That that and then also let me get on my my um my female, you know, horse. <laughs> let me get on my female horse now. Um, and we talk a ton about consent, and it goes like all of this stuff it's so heavy right but it all if you can start it when they're like one or two or three it will just be ingrained in who they are like he cannot give me a hug unless he asks consent to give me a hug and like you can't touch your brother unless you ask consent to touch your brother and if it's like if you have create this it's i, I don't know like yeah like the, there are these little boys that will become men but i'm like you guys are like i don't know a parenting is parenting is fucked up <laughs> i can't i can't wait to one one day find out about it and ask you all the questions and for you to just completely and, laugh in my face and tell and you know what I'll, I'll come with a ton of humility and tell you all the things i did wrong <laughs> I'll, I'll i'm sure i'll have plenty to tell you about all the things that i'll, I'll be currently doing wrong at that point but I'll, I'll i look look forward to that to that time whenever, whenever that is i did i did want to ask you about um, kind of circling back to November Project a little bit. One of the things that I think is interesting to think about with you as a leader, especially from before I was leading with you um, and sort of alongside you, but just as a participant was, I wanted to ask you about being intimidating. And one, if you were aware of that, and two, if you were, how you chose to sort of wield that influence and power. Because I'm sure that knowing you, there were times where you thought, oh, I'm going to crush this person right now because I can. And then other times where you're probably very kind and thoughtful about it. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that because to me, that goes hand in hand with how I think of you from you know that very first time that I met you. 
I loved being intimidating. I loved it. Are you kidding? To be like a female athlete and like, I I don't necessarily love being intimidating to other women, but to men, especially men runners, if they are like in any way intimidated by me, I eat it up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not here to like be like this badass who's like ah like not welcoming and I'm sure I came across that way to to many people over the years which I apologize for but um I don't like I didn't understand that I was intimidating I guess until people started like saying it and because I've never looked at myself as an intimidating person I laugh every 30 seconds so I thought that that was disarming but I guess it may not be always um but yeah, are you kidding? Like most people would be like, oh yeah, no, I don't want to be intimidating. I loved it. <laughs> I, I I thought you would say this, honestly. I was like, if Laura didn't know this about herself, I would be shocked. <laughs> oh man. And then I mean, the group that, like, I don't think I was intimidating at all at first, but then the group kept getting younger. And I was only getting older. And so that definitely adds an element to it for sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. And how did you think about, or, or are there any examples of when you really leaned into that and were just like, oh, I'm, so, I'm this person needs to get the full Laura on a hundred treatment right here. Oh, that's a good question. I mean... I think that you bring that personality into like all of the new stuff that you do, you know, like, like job interview or something like that. Like the, the intimidation comes from confidence, even if it's fake confidence, you know, it's like you're, you're standing up in front of a group. You have to present yourself as, as having your shit together. And people are like, Oh, I'm intimidated by this loud person who, yeah, who looks fitter than she actually is. <laughs> And I don't know, like, I, I can't think of any specific examples, unless you can. I can't. I was hoping that you would have some story about, you know, some arrogant Dude. person who showed up and then you just shut them down. But if you don't have that, that's fine. We'll, we'll have to pull, pull the audience or something after this and, and get some, get some stories. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything. It's fine. It's fine. We'll, 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 we know that they're out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, one, one thing that I wanted to ask you about was working in November Project, mm -hmm. because I think, I know from experience that it is both exhilarating and challenging to have your work also be something that is fun and that you care a lot about. And so I wanted to just kind of get your perspective on how you thought about that work where on the one hand, I'm sure you wanted to grow November project, build this organization, create these systems that would outlast you. But at the same time, you also wanted to keep and cultivate and just in a day-to-day -day way, enjoy the vibe of Rogan and Boyan and all that you and, and they had created of just the humor and fun side of showing up in costumes and doing stupid things together. And so I, I wanted to just get your perspective on how you thought about that mix of taking something seriously, but at the same time, really trying to not lose the core essence and sort of sincerity of, of what attracted you to it. So for anyone who kind of knows November Project, um, Brogan and Boyan are the two co-founders and I joined their team as a part-time employee in January of 2016. And um, my job initially was just to kind of like, not, I don't want to say busy work, but it was like catching up with leaders, like getting on calls. At that point, I think we had, we were still in the teens for how many cities we had. Um, and so. And how many is it today? Do you know? 52. Oh my God. Brogan's going to kill me if I don't know that. 
<laughs> I don't think that they've added any. I'm pretty sure it's 52. It's low 50s. We know it's low 50s. Oh. Um, so, yeah. And so that and then 80 percent of the job was travel. So I would get on a flight on a Tuesday. I would go to work, see a bunch of patients, go right to the airport, fly somewhere Tuesday night, get in at midnight, go to the workout the next morning, have breakfast with the leaders and fly home. Like it was nuts. And then sometimes I would go somewhere else for the Friday workout. But like you said, I was single. Um, I was like endless energy. So I didn't need sleep. And that was the dream. And when I started working with them, I was, I was like, listen, this is just like for fun. Like it wasn't a exorbitant amount of money where it was like going to supplement my salary. Um, I still had to work. Um, we also lived in San Francisco, so <laughs> not the cheapest place to live. Um, but for me, I was like, I'm working with two of my closest friends and I get to travel around the U S and eventually I got to go to a few, um, international spots. And so it was amazing and it was so much fun. It was the perfect time in my life for it to come up. And, but what I said to the guys at the very beginning was the second that this either it becomes not fun or it hinders our friendship in any way, I'm out because my friendship with both of you is way more important than this job. And so we all kind of agreed with that and on we rolled. And at first it was like the first couple of years were so much fun and, and, it, and the job was always fun, but finding that balance of um, I'm good friends with all the co-leaders as well. And I'm technically kind of managing them. Not really. I'm not telling anyone what to do, but um, just kind of like if I see something on social media that doesn't look great or, or if there are issues amongst the, I mean, I called my job relationship management because co-leaders wouldn't get along and I would be like the marriage counselor between them. Um, and so, which is which is hilarious to me to think about <laughs> being a fly on the wall for those conversations because I imagine you as a great person to chat with in those group type of scenarios, and then I imagine you <laughs> hanging up the phone and just being like, you know, screaming into your phone, "What are these people doing?" You know, just, there's got to be an outlet of like raw Laura. I at mean, the end of you those guys calls. should interview Connor Green after this, and then you'll get all the real <laughs> answers. But. Because, I mean, almost all these calls were at nights and weekends um, because that's people work during the day, you know. So I would catch up with them at night and it would be like 10 o'clock on a Tuesday and I'd be like listening to like why Sally, uh, she was 10 minutes late to the workout and it's not showing dedication. And I was like, what is my life? Why is this? what I, You know, and um, so that's how it was the first few years. And then, of course, like, we started taking a look at the organization. It was growing so fast. There were so many people and the influence was heavier. You know, we had a bigger responsibility um, to be more inclusive, to, to, to be the things that we claimed that we were to, you know, we're, we're for everyone. Well, no, we're not for everyone. And we had to figure out how to address that and kind of backpedal a little bit and say, okay, we're not for everyone. And um, this is what we're trying to do to improve change that and make it better um improve the diversity of the leadership originally it was just friends inviting friends to be the co-leaders and with that just became a lot of white people um able-bodied very athletic very fit people you know um and that actually was a prerequisite at the beginning and then we got rid of that um so oh i remember that i remember slow. that yeah oh yeah yeah. So it, it became like, it was a slow change. Um, many would argue, but from behind the scenes, when you only have two and a half employees and technically trying to change an organization of, you know, a hundred plus volunteers that are constantly rotating out. I think that that was probably our biggest hurdle and still continues to be. So you have, there's no like minimum amount of time that you need to, to lead. So some people would lead for six months and then leave. So I'd put all this work into this leader for six months and then they would leave. Um, and so even that paperwork and in that, that position of just onboarding was like a full-time job. And then on top of that, I was trying to create real social change within the organization and it became less fun. Um, 
which is a very privileged thing for me to say, but it was just the truth of it. I was attempting to hold positions that like I had no experience doing. So do you want to talk about why I left? <laughs> well, I would, I mean, I would, I would love, I would love to hear just your, your thought process behind that, because obviously you care. So you, I'm sure still care so much about November project and you've dedicated many years of your life, both working and just fun yeah. uh, to it. So yeah, would would love to hear that, yeah. that story of what sort of crystallized for you or came yeah. into focus. That well, so, and, and most people like in June of 2020, um, when all of these organizations and companies were like trying to like rebrand themselves as being more inclusive and, and we're listening and all this stuff, like genuinely behind the scenes, we had been trying it to improve it for a couple of years, but then it was, we were in the spotlight of, you know, um, you need to do more. And so I personally took on a lot of that and as a part-time employee trying also to be like, okay, also my professional background, I'm a physical therapist. Like that is what I've been trained in. Um, I am not an HR specialist. I'm not DEI consultant. I'm not any of these things. And I was trying to put on all these hats and learn how to do it along the way with full humility that this was not my area of expertise. And I kind of always led with that whenever I went into these meetings or whenever I was like creating these presentations for the co-leaders. And I just was like, by the end of the summer, I was like, this is silly for me. Like you need to know when it's your time to step back because somebody else could do your job so much better. And the need like for what, my position had become was so much more than I could provide. Like, yes, I have a ton of experience with November project, but at this point you guys could use the money that you pay me to, to redirect it to spe specialists and consultants and who, who would, I mean, I don't even have a lived experience as a person of color or a person in the queer community or in the disabled community. Like I don't even have a lived experience, let alone a, like an educational background in it. So I am just reading and reading and reading and reading for hours every day, trying to like better this organization from what I'm reading. And I'm like, this is so not unprofessional. This is so, um, so what I'm looking for. Irresponsible of me to sit in this position just because I'm working with my best friends when there are people right. who can do it better. So that's, I mean, there were a couple things that kind of like set me over the edge that have nothing to do with the guys or anything or any co-leaders, but, um, it was kind of like a few months in the making. And then finally I was like, okay, this is, and then, and then I told them on a Monday on Tuesday, I found out I was pregnant with Julian and I was like, okay, well then this was probably the right decision. anyways. Yeah. The universe, the universe is aligning here. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, I, I'm, the purpose of hearing that story wasn't for this, but I think I can speak for lots of people when I say that you've made a huge impact on the organization and lots of people's lives through November Project. So um, thank you on behalf of myself, but also all the people who have attended November Project workouts. That's sweet. Um, I, did, I, I do want to wrap up. I have two questions. One is related to NP and is probably a, a, a lighter one. And then one is uh, something that I think we're going to ask every every guest this season. Ooh. Um, yeah, Ooh. so get, get ready for that one. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to hear and to wrap up sort of November Project as a theme on a on a high note. I wanted to hear some of your favorite stupid, funny November Project moments that just stick out in your mind, either from November Project San Francisco or or other cities. Uh, that oh, you're just like, oh, well, I will never forget that time. Gosh, there are so many. There are so many. One of the most, okay, so there are a lot in San Francisco, um, of course. Like, especially um, when we had the, like, celebration of life for Sam Dweck and everyone showed up and put their hat backwards. Um, I mean, but there are some very, like, there are, endless endless funny things that have come out of november project mostly with my relationship with brogan and boyan and then of course brogan's brother deej um 
One of them was, okay, I don't think I've actually even ever really talked about this that much. We went to Hong Kong in whatever, 2016, 17, 18, whatever. And um, terrible dates. (laughs) And so we go to Hong Kong with the North Face, who was our sponsor at the time, to set up, to kind of do this like promotional outdoor gym thing and Hong Kong and then Shanghai. And this was in Shanghai. And they had built this fake gym outside in this field. So this big kind of abandoned, looked like abandoned soccer fields. They built this um, temporary structure. And that just was like this big cube. And there was nothing else around it at all. And they kept um, hyping it to all the people who were coming, which were like bloggers and vloggers and reporters and... Um, saying that this is the greatest gym in the world. This is the greatest gym in the world. And so the day of the event shows up, rolls, rolls around, and, and all the people are kind of ushered inside this cube, um, which is probably the size of, like, a basketball court. And there's, like, a couple workout equipment things in there, um, and everyone's kind of, like, walking around sort of confused. And then they shut the doors, and then they turn on this video. And meanwhile, me, Brogan Boyan... And the Dooster guys are out in the field. So we can hear the speakers of like what's being played on the video. And so here we are standing in Shanghai in a field. I was in this like hilarious crop top scene that the North Face Asia had given me that was like three sizes too small. And the voice on the video narrating this North Face run video is Dan Clayton. And I am like having this out of body experience. <laughs> what is happening? And so all, what? So they. So basically, they. The way me and BG look at each other and we're like, we're never going to forget this moment because it's so bizarre and so funny. And then the video ends and the wall collapses. So the whole wall falls down and the people come sprinting out of the building towards us. And then we led them through this very silly workout. And the whole point was the best gym in the world is outdoors, is your outdoors. So so that was like their whole like promotional thing. And, but like, I think about that, like, I think I was in a mall in Hong Kong at the TNF store there and um, JMAC, was like on the big screen like just like him working out at MPSF because they had had this footage like those things when you Josh Macron inter- international icon yes and it's just like you it was those moments where you realize just like we're on the other side of the world we're on the other side of the world and and there is November project are like coming up on screens and in that's so cool yeah and it was just like moments like that like I got to I was really really um, lucky to be there for the first day of November Project Toulouse in France and just being there for that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, those experiences were just as cool as going to like Kansas City or Indianapolis or I mean, every single workout. It was like you're just like looking around, looking at all these faces and you're like, this is so cool. It really yeah. is. It, it's it is amazing what it what it has become. And the fact that it exists all over the world is pretty pretty special and not something that many organizations can claim at all so it's it's definitely yeah. uh, distinctive but don't I want to end don't you remember NSF though like after like a really good workout and that really that amazing feeling that you had like there were 100%. there were a few workouts that I made that were like like when we hid markers all over the park and you had to like put markers on your little feet and I was like that was so good <laughs> There was there was so much clever clever so much clever stuff that you left in the morning and you were just like so pumped up for the day. And this was when I was waking up at stupid hours in the morning. Yeah. Like in the four o'clock hour consistently. And and you would still leave at seven AM and just be like, This day is already the best. Yeah. So I, I I think that is something that is very special and that will obviously never, never leave us. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. Me too. I want to end with, uh, what I think is a meaningful question. And I hope we get different answers from different guests because I think it, it sheds light on each of our guests, unique perspectives, but 
I want to know from your end, for you specifically, what constitutes a life well lived? Oh, ah, oh, oh. Um, so I actually just, um, oh my gosh, my mind just went into like four different places. Okay. Stay with me here, guys. Are you ready for this wild ride of an answer? Okay. First up, I'm starting a new company, um, that does, that's story. Okay. Okay. Well, it's just me and it's storytelling, but I'm switching from podcast format to video um, for legacy videos because I come from this like long lineage of amazing storytellers and where you sit around and you like actually get to watch the person tell the story and the mannerisms are a big part of that and um, that was one thing I was really missing in the podcast world um, when I was interviewing people and so now I'm entering that by learning how to edit video better than I used to be able to. Um, but yeah, so anyways, with that being said, I just made this video for my son for his third birthday and, um, and where I interviewed my husband, interviewed myself, I interviewed him. And then I like put in a ton of clips. And one of the questions I had was like, what do you wish for your kid? And I think that's essentially what you wish for yourself. Like, like I want him to like, be full of of high quality relationships and like to put his value into people and not put his value into things. Um, Andre DeShields uh, had this incredible acceptance speech when he won a Tony and he, the first he had, there were three things. And the very first thing that he said was surround yourself with people who light up, who, whose eyes light up when they see you coming. And I will never forget it. I think about it all of the time um, to think if you were, if you at the end of your life are surrounded by people whose eyes light up when they see you coming, then you have done it. You have lived the good life, you know? And if you can look at back on all the different chapters and seasons of your life and you can pinpoint the people in that time frame who were there with that same reaction, then I think that that is it. Um, I used to, like, when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to, like, legacy videos and you're looking back on your life, I think people are so quick to be like, well, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. Like, of course you do. Like, you you don't have to climb Everest to, to have this, like, amazing tale to tell. Um, I think if you've ever been through a tragedy or near a tragedy or I mean especially with COVID now I think most people are within arm's reach I think that there's an incredible amount of gratitude for like a normal life you know a normal life a calm life every day to day problems like how lucky we are right you know I actually I actually love love that answer especially the if you can be surrounded by people whose eyes light up Oh man, you, I love that. You should look up that Tony acceptance speech. All three points really, are so good. That's um, so cool. But yeah, nice. I think I think I think that's it. I think if I live a normal, calm life, then I did it. You know, <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty exceptional. I if if the last two years haven't taught you anything, it should be that like the day to day is pretty spectacular. If we're lucky, right? Just every just being up, able to just waking up to do to do normal stuff is living the dream. Right, right. Which is it. the whole evolution of Laura McCluskey to Laura Green. Like the like I never would have said this five years ago. We've come full circle. I We've thought like circle. I needed to travel. You know how to wrap, You know how to wrap up a podcast, Laura. You really do. <laughs> <laughs> I of well, the six listeners, I think maybe two are still listening. If you've made it this far, <laughs> if you made it this far, you have now completed the circle with us. Thank you for joining us. Um, I do want to, I do want to uh, kick it to Stanley because we do have a couple of quick hitting. Uh, we have a couple of fun segments that we like to do to to end the the show. Um, so Stanley, do you want to take it away with some of our overrated, underrated stuff? Yeah, before I get there real quick, I uh, just want to do kind of 
what a Josh miss slash correction. So yes, just so do. the people of Homer, Alaska don't think we're misrepresenting them. They appear to have, according to Wikipedia, 5,000 people, not 500. Oh, 5,000 um, in the summer. Okay. All right. There you go. And, um, <laughs> November project, according to their website, have 53 locations. Though one of them is www, which I'm guessing is worldwide web. Yes. So okay. 52, well, 52 was right. 53 has emerged in the last few months, which I think is pretty brilliant because so now if you want to do like a zoom workout, you can do it every single week. Like, so people who don't have NP in their city while everyone's going back to in person, they still can get their online. So I think the leader is, is lives in Connecticut, but East Coast time slot. I think that's pretty brilliant. So now people can always participate if they if they're in our time zone. Yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, and then just wanted to comment on on something you said about being a parent. I, I kind of love your description of what it seems like you you went through this transition that I think a lot of parents go through, and you kind of come out the other side, basically appreciating the the past that you had. You know who you were before a parent but living to learning to live in the present um, and not mourning the past. So uh, I thought that was, that was great. And every, everything you said about being a parent, I thought was wonderful. Oh, thanks, Stanley. Uh, so the next section is called overrated, underrated. So we're going to throw out some things. You say overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. You can say why if you want. So here, here it goes. Uh, superheroes. Overrated. Overrated. Why? Superheroes. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I just, I just think that like naming out exceptionality is just like so 1985. <laughs> okay, fair enough. The next one actually, is, is, that's a good transition. Cackling laughter. Oh, it's so underrated. <laughs> <laughs> the the quality of your Instagram account after having children. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's probably appropriately rated. <laughs> okay, I am a big fan. I don't go on Instagram a lot, but Aaron will show me stuff, and I love it. <laughs> Morning workouts. Oh, completely underrated. Of course, it's the best. E- evening workouts. Oh, overrated. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. Brogan Graham. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, Brogan Graham in person, underrated. Brogan Graham on the internet, overrated. <laughs> Patty O'Leary. Oh! <laughs> Patty O'Leary is probably appropriately rated unless i am in charge of his instagram then uh then i think it's pretty good <laughs> rural living what is that R- rural living rural living uh, um i think it's probably underrated why R- why i think that i mean this is coming from someone who's lived in cities for the last 15 17 years is I think that the most people here are like, oh, how could you ever, like, you know, like, how could you ever go and live? But man, it's, there's something so wonderful about living somewhere where you can hear the crickets at night, you know? Children. Ooh. Gosh, that's all in the eye of the beholder. I think that they are underrated. Because until Jack turned like two, I would have said they were overrated. <laughs> the first two years I thought were like, oh gosh, why did we do this? And then now it's awesome. But I also think that's me fully accepting where I am. So, but now, and now I went from being like, maybe we should be done at one to being like, maybe we should keep going to five. Like it's wild. It might be the Zoloft speaking. <laughs> <laughs> uh people and forced social engagements <laughs> yeah that's way overrated <laughs> also like and if finally, you think like if you think back to like those forced social engagements like i was actually usually on the wall like especially on like the, the evening stuff i don't know that wasn't really my scene i tried and finally, I think you touched on it already, but just so the audience knows, being intimidating. Oh, yeah, that's underrated. <laughs> uh, Zip, you want to you wanna do the last, last segment here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we've got a couple of would-you-rathers for you, Laura. Okay. Um, not too many. Uh, 
and this this one we asked to Sam Goldstein as well. Would you rather be twice as fast or twice as strong? <sighs> Sam Goldstein. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with fast. Good answer. Good answer. I think I'm in the same camp for what it's worth. Would you rather eat only carbs or never eat carbs again? I mean, only carbs, because think about it. There are tons of carbs in vegetables. So. And, and they're delicious. So and how could you delicious. not? So like, them? yeah, I get my breads, <laughs> but then I also get my broccoli and my potatoes. Smart, smart. Uh, and this one uh, is submitted to us by our good friend, Patty O'Leary. <laughs> would you rather have legs instead of your arms or arms instead of your legs? Favorite would you rather? Uh, I would rather... Oh, my God. I think arms instead of legs. Right? Sure. You, you need the dexterity there. of your fingers. I mean, you don't it's need... You. That was a very ableist thing to say. But it definitely makes life easier. But then could I be twice as fast with arms as my legs? Right. We haven't thought about the cascading the of who you are as a person now that you're <laughs> twice as fast with four arms only eating carbs. I think that well, it's Laura, this... out in my favor. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, this has been been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, so great having you. This is the best. Good luck on your endeavors. Thanks. <laughs> I, I hope I hope I hope the six people are still with us. I hope so too.